0: Your seats and uh, join us. We're going to uh, jump back into our series in the book of 2 Kings. For those of you who uh, maybe are newer to Jericho, we spend our summer months working our way through the Old Testament. And so last Sunday, Pastor Mike started us off in the in the uh, book of 2 Kings and. Uh, gave us some context, some background, reminded us of how we got here to this portion uh, of the Old Testament and where Second Kings is pointing us to, uh, talking about the purpose of the time of the divided kingdom. You've got Israel in the north. You've got Judah in the south and uh, why the the record in 1st and 2nd Kings is there to help explain uh, how the people actually end up getting into Babylonian exile, which is the single biggest event in the Old Testament history of the Israelites. A little bit more uh, context for us today as we uh, go forward. Just want to remember some things of, of what's taking place in the bigger scope of the nation at this time. Israel up north has got 10 of the 12 tribes hunkering down up north. They've separated from Judah down in the south who's only got two of the 12 tribes. Israel up north during this time goes through 19 kings. None of them are very good. You'd think they'd get somebody decent. Not so much. Judah goes through 20 rulers and I say rulers because one of the rulers is a queen. And out of those 20 rulers, eight of them are pretty good. And out of those pretty good of eight, five are actually given the description as being godly rulers during the time. And those uh, five are Hezekiah, uh, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Josiah, and Joash, who we'll focus in on today. Also, if you uh, read through your Old Testament, you'll... Go for a few books past Kings, and you'll find First and Second Chronicles, and you'll start reading that, and you'll be like, "Didn't I just read some of this?" Yes, you did. First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles overlap in their record of history. Some people, uh, some uh, commentators, describe it as First and Second Kings being more of a historical account of what took place, and First and Second Chronicles being more of a, a spiritual account. Or, or, a, or an account from God's perspective of what took place, but they do overlap, and so we get more detail uh, in First and Second Chronicles of many of the not so good kings who uh, reign in, in the books of uh, First and Second Kings. Last thing we should know uh, for today, anyways, is that when you read about the different kings, you will find that there are two King Joashes. We're going to focus on King Joash of Judah today, but there's also a King Joash in Israel. And to make it even more confusing, their reigns actually overlap towards the end. And so you can, some, some uh, translations change the spelling of the name of King Joash in Israel to Jeho, they stick in an extra H in there and it's, it's called Jehoash, but most of them just uh, reference the two. So we want to pay particular attention as we're reading through the book Uh, and today we're going to focus on King Joash of Judah and the easiest way to uh, recognize or or differentiate him is is the fact that he becomes king at a super young age. He becomes king at seven years old. Seven years old. Do we have any seven year olds in our congregation? Who's close? Jacob's eight. Jacob, you're eight. Would you like to be the ruler, the leader, of this church. (laughs) I mean, you're already eight. Like, that's a year older than King Joash was. All you'd have to do is maybe take a look around the building that we started to tear apart and just let us know how you would go about rebuilding it all. (laughs) See, you already have an advisor. (laughs) Interesting how the different personalities one's just like make me the king. I want to be the king (laughs) But that's actually what happens in our story, so the story of uh, Joash uh, Becoming king at age seven. It's one that uh, rises up out of terrible circumstances and Then in the middle has this this great um, this great potential and promise. And then, unfortunately, it ends like most of the other kings in the book of Kings. It ends in disappointment and judgment. So it starts just after Joash is born. Joash's father, King Ahaziah, uh, just after Joash is born, uh, there's a coup. And his father, King Ahaziah, is, is uh, killed and taken out as king. And uh, you'd think that... The, Joash would come in at that point, but he's a newborn. What actually happens is Joash's grandmother, so King Ahaziah's uh, mother, Athaliah, decides, well, if my son is no longer king, I'm going to take over. And so she actually goes on a killing spree and takes out her entire family so that no one else can step up to the throne. And in the middle of that chaos, Joash's And pulls him out as a newborn, as an infant, and hides him in the temple. And that's a significant, uh, well, it's significant for Joash, one, because he gets to live. But it's significant for even us as we read through the scriptures. Because Joash at that time, once all the rest of his family has been wiped out, is the last remaining survivor in the line of King David at that time. And so if Joash had succumbed to Queen Athalia's attempt to wipe everybody else out then we would not have had the direct lineage from King David to King Jesus. And the promises of how God would bring the Messiah to earth couldn't have been fulfilled. All of that hinged on this one lady rescuing this infant and going and placing him in hiding and making sure that he's taken care of. And so for six years, Joash lives in hiding inside the temple. Now this should tell us a little bit about uh, the character of Queen Athalia. That for six years, someone could be hiding in the temple that she was supposed to be overseeing. I'm guessing she didn't spend a lot of time there. In fact, we know that she didn't. She was a very idolatrous uh, queen. She She was, again, one of the rulers who falls under the very bad category. So after six years of hiding, Jehoiada, who is the priest of the temple at the time decides that it's time i'm assuming that he probably received word from the lord and decides it's time to take out queen athalia and so he comes up with a plan and has her dethroned and has her killed and so then we pick up the story in second kings chapter end of chapter 11 verse 17 then jehoiada now jehoiada is the priest who's overseeing the temple. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. He also made a covenant between the king and the people. So the king is too young to be doing this stuff, so Jehoiada steps in and he does this. And all the people of the land went over to the temple of Baal, which Queen Athalia was focused on, and tore it down. They demolished the altars and the idols, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. Jehoiada the priest stationed guards at the temple of the Lord. And then the commanders, the charite mercenaries, the palace guards, all the people of the land escorted the king, Joash, from the temple of the Lord. They went through the gates of the guards and into the palace, and the king took his seat on the royal throne. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was peaceful because Athaliah had been killed at the king's palace. Verse 21, Joash was seven years old when he became the king. Then we get into chapter 12. Joash began to rule over Judah in the seventh year of King Jehu. If you were here last week, we talked about him. King Jehu's reign in Israel. He reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years. Joash's mother was Zibiah from Beersheba. All his life, Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight because Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Yet, even so, he did not destroy the pagan shrines, and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. One day, King Josh said to the priests, Collect all the money brought as a sacred offering to the Lord's temple, whether it's a regular assessment, a payment of vows, or a voluntary gift, and let the priests take some of that money to pay for whatever repairs are needed at the Lord's temple. So, relatively speaking, we have a good start to King Joash's reign. At least something that God can work with. God miraculously saves the king, hides him for six years. The idolatrous queen, uh, grandmother, is taken out. The temple of Baal and its priest is taken out. And the covenant between God and his people is reestablished. And they begin to reinitiate, renew their Uh, worship at the temple of of God, they're worshiping Yahweh instead of Baal. King Joash, even as he gets a little bit older, sets out and says, you know what, we should actually do some repair work to this temple. We should get it back to the state that it should be at. And so it looks like there's a new era coming. It looks like Joash is is going to bring in a reign of of dedication to God, to Yahweh. He's going to bring back the people and say, this is who we are to worship and follow. It looks like they're poised for growth and for blessing. But when we go to the parallel account in the book of 2 Chronicles, we find out that Joash doesn't take long before he diverges from the path. And this great opportunity for God's people is ultimately derailed. Second Chronicles chapter 24. Jehoiada the priest lived to very old age. So God again grants favor to Joash and says, "I'm going to let this priest live longer than normally people were living at that time, because you're so young, you need him as an advisor." Joash, or Jehoiada lives to the very old age, finally dying at 130. And listen to his reward. He was buried among the kings in the city of David. So he wasn't buried in the normal cemetery. He wasn't buried where his ancestors would, would have been buried. He was given a place of privilege because he had done so much good in Israel for God and his temple. But after Jehoiada's death, the leaders of Judah came and bowed before King Joash. So, he, so he's an adult now. He's standing on his own two feet. And they persuaded him to listen to their advice. They decided to abandon the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and they worshipped Asherah poles and idols instead. Because of this sin, divine anger fell on Judah and Jerusalem. Yet the Lord sent prophets, so God is always merciful. The Lord sent prophets to bring them back to him. The prophets warned them, but still the people would not listen. Then the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Zechariah, who is... Jehoiada the priest, who's now passed away, Zechariah is his son. So he's got a close connection. He would have grown up with Joash. They would have been of similar ages growing up. Zechariah comes. He stands before the people and says, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands and keep yourselves from prospering? In other words, you've got this tremendous opportunity in front of you people. But... You've abandoned the Lord, and now he's abandoned you. Then the leaders plotted to kill Zechariah, and King Joash ordered that they stone him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. The very place where Zechariah's father had cared for him as an infant, as a young child, raised him up in the Lord's temple, that's the place where Joash now says, Take out Zechariah. And that's how King Joash repaid Jehoiada for his loyalty, by killing his son. So what happens? In the spring of that year, the Aramean army marches against Joash. They invade Judah and Jerusalem. They kill all the leaders of the nation. Then they send all the plunder back to their king in Damascus. Although the Arameans attacked with only a small army, the Lord helped them conquer the much larger army of Judah and Joash. The people of Judah had abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so judgment was carried out against Joash. The Arameans withdrew finally. They leave Joash wounded, and he comes to a demise. His own officials plot to kill him for murdering the son of Jehoiada the priest, and they assassinate him as he lays in bed. Joash and the people of God are given a tremendous opportunity for a godly legacy in the midst of this whole era of kings who are, who are going, always straying and walking away from God, going back to uh, worshiping idols. But instead, this ends up being a tremendous opportunity lost. Remember Zechariah's words to them. Why are you disobeying the Lord's commands and keep yourselves from prospering? You've got this great opportunity. So what happened? And what can we learn from it today? Friends, we believe, the leadership of Jericho Ridge believes that God is presenting us with a tremendous emerging opportunity for growth and blessing. That's what we believe and are convinced of. That he wants to have us as a part of a, of a long-term legacy in this community. Now, obviously, God has provided this building, and, he, and just this time last year, we, were, we, were, we didn't even know that we were going to be in this building. It's been an amazing journey. It's been a miraculous one. But we believe that it's just a part of. We believe that the, that the facility is just a, a platform for what God really wants to do through us as a church. And so we've been focusing on, we've been praying into, we've been uh, strategically dialoguing about this emerging opportunity. That's why in the last year we've had a couple of uh, larger public events. Back in April we had uh, what we now call Lead Up. I think before we were calling it Leading and Learning. Uh, It's now called Lead Up. And we're going to have those conversations more and more uh, in the coming years. Probably twice a year. uh, Where we invite you as an entire church to come and Talk with us as leadership about what God is calling us to be and do as a church that 's why this last uh, uh, June we focused our our uh, elders annual our annual elders' retreat on again this topic of what is God doing in Jericho and what 's he calling us to beyond just what 's right in front of us right now, which is a renovation and so you can actually at the welcome center you can pick up copies of both of those events, and just get, if, if, you, if you're not there yet, you can sort of get up to speed with that conversation about this emerging opportunity. We're asking God, what do you have for us as Jericho? And what is it that you are going to require of us to be a community that fulfills what you call us to do? If you're going to make us a blessing in this neighborhood and beyond then what are you asking of us, God? If God's setting the stage for us and he's opening up a door of opportunity, a season of opportunity for us, then I think there are several things that we need to learn from Joash and his missed opportunity. God was setting the stage for Joash. Miraculously preserving his life. Divinely giving him an advisor who is godly. And helping to raise him up when his parents weren't there to do that. God was setting the stage for King Joash. And while Joash began to accomplish some of that. While Joash under Jehoiada leadership did reinstitute worship of Yahweh and he did start to rebuild and repair the temple, the opportunity to realize that all that God had for them was ultimately lost. And the people end up going back into this cycle of turning away from God, turning to idols, and God turning away from them and bringing judgment on them. And ultimately, it's going to end them. In exile, which will come later on in the Old Testament. So why? Why such a great opportunity lost for King Joash? What are the warning signs that they had, that he had, and that we need to learn this morning as well? One of the main purposes of the book of Kings is to give us a history and to give us in that history especially in the context of First and Second Kings, the warnings that we need to know to be successful in life and in leadership. And so as you read Kings, you can't go down the road at living your life or being a leader and say you weren't warned. Because the things that we encounter today are also some of the things that, for example, in the life of Joash today that we're going to look at are things that previous leaders have encountered. And so as we're presented with this, emerging opportunity as Jericho ridge what are the things that we need to learn several pitfalls from the uh, the reign of king joash the first one is this avoid this pitfall lack of conviction lack of conviction in 2 kings 11 we read that we read that it was the priest jehoiada who plans and sets everything in motion to get rid of the idolatrous queen, the the grandmother, Athalia. It was Jehoiada who ensures that the rightful king ends up in the place that he needs to end up on, on the throne. At Jericho Ridge, we talk a lot about getting the right people in the right seats on the bus. Jehoiada did that. It was Jehoiada who had the conviction and the faith to stand for God's king until he could stand on his own. Let's be honest, age seven, age eight, it's pretty hard to uh, lead a people, isn't it? <laughs> Looking at the dad to see if he'd say, oh no, my boy could do it. <laughs> it was Jehoiada who stood in that gap. Second Kings chapter 11, verse 17 and 12 too, Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king that they would be the lord's people he made a covenant between the king and the people and then it says all joash's life he did what was pleasing in the lord's sight because jehoiada the priest instructed him now listen to what the book of second chronicles chapter 24 tells us happens as soon as jehoiada is is gone Jehoiada lived to that very old age, 130. He was buried among the the kings in the city of David because he'd done so much good for Israel. Again, reinforcing this man of conviction. But after Jehoiada's death, the leaders of Judah came and bowed before King Joash and persuaded him to listen to their advice. They decided to abandon the temple of the Lord. So everything uh, Joash had done till now, it seems in one encounter with these other rulers, gets wiped out. And they abandon the temple, and they start to worship Asherah poles and idols instead. And because of this sin, the divine anger falls on Judah and Jerusalem. So as long as Jehoiada, who had conviction, who had this deep, deep faith in God, was around to guide the king, Joash does well. But when Jehoiada dies, it's, and it's time for King Joash to stand as a leader before God, as a leader... For his people. There's no conviction of who this God is in Joash's life. There's no conviction of what this God is calling this king, Joash, to do. And he's quickly led astray. Lack of conviction. Lack of deep sense of relationship and faith. So whether you're a leader or a follower, and you will be both in your lifetime. Those who are in leadership now won't stay in leadership. Not everyone gets to lead forever. And those of you who who are not will need to step into those places. So whether you're a leader or a follower, we need you to be a person of conviction. We need you to be a person who has a, a vibrant, ongoing, personal relationship with our God. Who's hearing from them. The temptation is always to give in to follow the ways of the world. The temptation is always to look at things outside of the church and say, oh, that's running really successfully. We should just do what they're doing. Oh, that company's emerging. What is that company doing in the world right now? And, and what principles can we just take from them and, and adopt so that we'll be successful? Or the temptation is always there to follow a strong leader because they're charismatic, because they say the right things. But church, even when our leaders are placed in our midst by God, we still need all of us together as a church in a vibrant relationship with Jesus. We still need all of us together listening, talking to God, saying, what do you have for us? In other words, yes, those of you who are in leadership in Jericho right now, we need you to lead us with holy conviction. We need to hear that you are hearing God. We need to know that you are spending time with him in prayer. But church, for those of you who are following, we need you to equally follow with that conviction. We need to know that you are spending time in prayer. We need to know that you are spending time in the word of God. We need to know that you're hearing because God's not gonna tell the leaders one thing and tell the people another thing. We need to know that together. if God is presenting us with an emerging opportunity for growth and blessing, is that just because some leader stands up here and says, hey guys, this is what's going to happen. No, it's because we as a church hear that together. It's because we as a church hear what God is speaking to our leadership and we hear that being affirmed As we listen and we come together and we empower the leaders and we support and we do this together. And we have a conviction of what lies ahead. It's not good enough for only our leaders to be convicted of a time of growth and blessing coming. It's not good enough for only the leadership to have a conviction to get into a, a facility like this and take a big step of faith. The whole church needs to have a conviction of what lies ahead of us. The second pitfall of Joash is, uh, is simply not taking opposition seriously. King Joash miss, misses the opportunity that God has for him and his people because he refuses to take opposition seriously. Look at 2 Kings 12 verse 3. Joash turns this blind eye so yes, he reinstitutes and says, we're going to get rid of idol worship and we're going to focus our attention back on God. But look what happens. All, in verse 2, all his life, Josh did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight because joy to the priest instructed him. Verse 3, yet even so, he did not destroy the pagan shrines and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. The parallel account in the book of Chronicles, makes it clear that idol worship in Israel and in Judah, in the two divided kingdoms, is is so prevalent that it's actually more common than the worship of Yahweh. Most of the kings, even if they are like Joash and reinstitute Yahweh as the god that we're to worship, still end up keeping some other gods on the back burner. As a backup plan, just in case. It can't hurt, right? I mean, just in case you stop hearing from, the, from God over here, not a bad plan to have another place to go and hear from. Friends, the temptation is again to allow the ways of the world to maintain a presence in our lives. Because we think, one, it's not so bad. What's the big deal? Or worse, because we want a backup plan. We need a plan B in case plan A falls through. What happens if we buy a $10 million building and start the rentals and then we run out of money? Who's got plan B or C? It would be good to have plan B. Or what happens if we go through the whole renovation and, and we have this beautiful facility and then, you know, hundreds of people don't flock through the door in the first couple of weeks? Ooh, Well, we should have a we should have a we should have a like just a, a top-notch plan B marketing plan. Like we should hire a marketer. What about in our personal lives? When you look at your your own career, you keep a, a plan B around just in case? Just in case God doesn't quite come through the way you think. Or the way you expected that he would? Are you all in? Or are you hedging your bets? God sees in our heart. He will call your bluff. He sees what's happening. And on the flip side of that, are we willing to persevere? When we face opposition. Are we willing to cling to the ways of God when it gets tough and doesn't make sense or it's confusing and hard? When King Joash faced opposition towards the end of his reign from the king of Aram in uh, verses 17 and 18. This little army comes against him. Much smaller than his army in, uh, in the nation of Judah. And what does he do? Does he call his people to fasting and prayer? Does he cry out to God and say, what should we do? He he actually goes and he gets all the things out of the temple that are sacred and holy. All the precious things. And he puts them all in a big pile and he sends them as a bribe to the king of Aram. Here, take this instead. Don't, Don't hurt us. He takes the easy way out. He tries to bribe his way out rather than calling on God and saying, God, we are your people. How are you going to protect us as your people? So church, what are we going to do when, not if, but when, as we face opposition? Because as good as we think we are, as as great of plans as we think we can uh, procure for our community and the people around us, not everybody else is going to think that those are good things. We will face opposition. What do we plan to do? Try and find an easy way out? Try and find a politically correct way out? Or do we stand? Do we persevere in the things that we believe because we are a people of conviction that God is calling us to? Second Kings stands as a warning. Once you read it, you've been warned. Do not ignore opposition. Do not take it lightly and don't compromise. Continue to persevere in the things that God calls you to. But if we fail, when we fail, there's a third pitfall that we need to avoid. We must not refuse to repent. We cannot be a stubborn people who refuse to repent. Like King Joash and his people, we are not going to be perfect. We are not going to be perfect. And when we find ourselves making wrong choices or when we find ourselves coming up short, we can't ignore God's call to repentance. God is always a merciful God. He always presents a way and a, a space for his people to repent and come back. When we were reading in 2 Chronicles 24, he sends prophets to King Joash and the people. He says, turn away. They don't do it. He sends Zechariah, right? This is a personal friend of the king. This is a, someone that he would have respect and a personal and intimate relationship. They would have grown up together. Surely he'd listen to him. God sends that person. He says, turn away from what you're doing. But they don't listen. Verse 18, 2 Chronicles 24. Judah decides to abandon the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors. They worship Asherah poles and idols instead. And because of the sin, divine anger falls on Judah and Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yet the Lord sent them prophets, it says. Even in the midst of, the, of their activity that is sinful, God sends them prophets to warn them. They don't listen. Verse 20, the Spirit of God comes upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands and keep yourselves from prospering? You've abandoned the Lord and now he's abandoned you. Oh, well, then we should turn. What does Joash do? He says, no, let's get this Zechariah into the temple, right in the main court, in the middle, and let's stone him to death. Friends, in every generation, God wants his people to grow and flourish. It is the through line. It is the storyline of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We we know it from Adam and Eve. Go forth and multiply. I want you to grow and flourish. It goes right through the entire Old Testament into the New Testament. And it continues in Revelation. But with that theme comes another theme. The blessing, the favor of the Lord, friends, is incompatible with unrepentant lives. The favor, the blessing of the Lord cannot coexist with those who live unrepentant lives. And when we're faced in those situations, we need to repent. Or oh, we can choose to ignore which is probably a a common response of ours. We can choose to rationalize. That's another common response. And sometimes we even can choose to take out the messenger. Like, let's just get rid of that person. Stop pointing out my sin. We can go about being busy. Just, let's just, you know what, Let's, let's not talk about this sin over here. Let's just get busy doing this other good thing over here. Those are all common responses. But the end result is always the same. God's judgment comes. Separation from God occurs. Joash's reign starts out with such promise, but listen to how it ends. 2 Kings 12 verse 20. Joash's own officers plot against him and assassinate him. And then it goes to the extent of listing the assassins by name. Both trusted advisors. And then it says Joash was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. And his son Amaziah becomes the next king. Second Chronicles chapter 24, the account's actually even more clear. It tells us that Joash was not buried with the kings in the cemetery of the kings. Do you remember who was? Jehoiada. Jehoiada the priest. He wasn't even a king, and yet he was bestowed with the honor of being buried among the kings, scripture said, because he did so much good for God and the people. Joash, who is a king and has a rightful plot in the cemetery of the kings, gets buried in the common cemetery with his ancestors he doesn't even get to be in the kings and you remember when i started i said there was 5 who were given the title of quote godly kings and he's one of them and yet his reign today his legacy today is one of what not to do of one of how not to live and lead We look at it in the face of our emerging opportunity and we say, oh, those are warning signs. Yes, God is giving us an opportunity to be part of what he desires in this community and beyond. And we're blessed. We're blessed to be able to send people to Papua New Guinea. We're blessed to have a team in Tanzania right now. We're blessed to be already thinking and planning to be able to send people to Guatemala and to have others of our missionaries around the world. But friends, if we want to uh, fulfill, if we want to reap, to use the language of the scriptures, the prosperity that God has for us in what he's calling us to do and to be, then we need to be a people of conviction in our God. All of us together. And we need to root out opposition and persevere in the face of it. Because it will come. And when we fall short, because we will fall short. None of us are perfect. Our leaders aren't perfect. We as a people, as a church, are not perfect. When we fall short, we need to have the freedom and we need to have the courage to confess our sins to each other. And that's a hard thing in this day and age to do. We don't do a lot of that. But the scripture opens it up in such a beautiful way. Confess your sins to each other. Why? So that in that place of repentance, God can restore the relationship that we have with him. And we don't find ourselves on the outs. We don't find ourselves leaving a legacy that our grandchildren and great-grandchildren look back and say, oh, let's not do what they did at Jericho Ridge in 2019, in 20, and 21, 22. We want to leave a legacy that says, let's continue to be a part of what they started. We're going to invite the worship team to come up. Jared and his team are going to come up and we're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to have our prayer team uh, at the back there. Gary and Betty and Sylvia and myself will be back there. And I just want to invite you to spend some time with God. As you are a part of this people, as you are here in, uh, together, corporate worship time, saying, God, what are you calling me? How are you calling me to be a part of what you're calling Jericho to be a part of? What does that look like? What does growth look like for us as a church? And what does that look like for me? What are you calling me? What are you asking of me personally? Maybe he's asking you to, to prepare yourself for, the, for a season of stepping into leadership. I don't know. Maybe he's asking you to, to be uh, someone who will be on the front lines in, in uh, spreading the news, the good news out in the community. I don't know what it might be. Maybe he's asking you to step into places of, of teaching our children. But together, we need to be that people. We need to be the people of conviction. And we have this history to look back and say, you know what, God did it then and he will do it again. He will be faithful if we as his people are faithful. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks and praise for the stories of the kings. We think... foolishly that would probably be good to be able to place our faith in one person and be led by that one person. But instead, Lord God, you've brought and instituted the church and you said that the gates of hell will not stand against my people, the church. And I will call out the church from generation to generation to be my messengers, to go into all the nations. And so, God, we stand before you as part of your church. We stand before you together as Jericho Ridge. And we say, God, what do you have for us? What are you calling us to be in this community, in this society? What are you calling us to be in the world as we send parts of our family into other places? Would you speak to us, God? We want to listen. We want to hear your calling.